ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I hope all of you out there had a great Memorial Day weekend, had a chance to spend some time with friends and family and enjoy the holiday. Today we are joined by Dan Good. He is the author of Playing Through the Pain, which is a biography about Ken Caminetti. And if you're listening to this on release day, that is also release day of the book. It's releasing on 531. And we're going to get into that conversation in a minute after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by Collectors for Collectors that breaks new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. You can find out what they're going to be breaking this week by checking out udogcollect.com. You can also visit them in their brick-and-mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, where they have a full selection of wax, singles, supplies, and you can even watch some of the breaks live and in the shop. And if you hit a card you like, or if you've got some other cards in your collection that you want to get graded, they are an approved group submitter for SGC. Check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Today, I want to welcome another guest to the show. He is an author. He is a collector and a journalist from New York who's written a new book, Playing Through the Pain, a biography of Ken Caminetti. Dan Good, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate you spending a few minutes chatting today about about the book. Before we get into the book, though, I want to give people a chance to get to know a little bit more about you if they're not already familiar with you. So let's start by just learning a little bit more about you. What is your background in sports and in the hobby? I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I was not a Phillies fan. I was not an Orioles fan. I was not a Pirates fan. Uh, I was not a Reds fan. My mom was a Reds uh, Reds fan growing up. Uh, I like the Reds, but they're not my team. And I just didn't have a team. And it was 1993. And I remember I got a pack of Upper Deck Series 1. And I opened the pack. It was a jumbo pack. And I got a Nolan Ryan then and now, that hologram card. And I would just, it was around the same time that I'd been reading articles about him. It was the beginning of his final season. I was nine years old at the time and really coming into my own as a baseball fan. And I just was really drawn in by Nolan Ryan. And I said, I mean, it'd be fun to be a Nolan Ryan fan. The Rangers are neat. Uh, that same season, Juan Gonzalez won the home run derby. You know, they had Pudge Rodriguez and a lot of other fun players and, I just was drawn in. I felt like the Rangers were my team and um, stuck with them through thick and thin, a lot of thin and a lot of, you know, difficult years, but uh, we're trying to stay positive uh, and hoping for the future. Um, but no, it's been, it's been really interesting to, you know, get into the hobby and become a baseball, a bigger baseball fan because of the hobby, you know, as a collector, 
you know, you know, as somebody who didn't go to a lot of games and who didn't always get to see their favorite team play, cards were a way to, you know, grow as a collector, get more into the hobby. Um, so I would always, me and my brother would always be buying packs and, you know, trying to collect different sets, trying to collect their favorite players. And I think one supplemented the other, you know, my uh, collecting supplemented my fandom and the other way around. So you have your favorites and you start collecting them. And, you know, through collecting, through Sports Center highlights, uh, I was really gravitated toward Ken Caminiti. You know, 1996 National League MVP. I love the way he played. I love that style, that gritty style all out all the time. And I appreciated him. I felt like he stood out among the other players of his era. And I remember I played a tabletop baseball game, APA, uh, with my dad and my brother. And uh, he was on my, Ken was on my team. And I was just always thought he had a cool name and like he was a fun player. Um, and I was just kind of, you know, kept tabs on him, kept an eye on him. And when, you know, when he uh, came forward in Sports Illustrated in 2002, I thought it meant a lot. You know, when he actually talked about steroid use, I thought it meant a lot. And, you know, I was really struck by his death and um you know it was just it was like one thing led to the other but i just always felt like his story deserved to be told and as a baseball fan i really yearned to see his story properly told and then you know as no one was really telling it and as i was becoming a journalist myself i just felt like you know this is a chance to tell a story and that's that's kind of you know how this all started yeah it's amazing to me how that connection between the actual sport of baseball and collecting cards can be so strong. I would say I had a similar experience growing up. You know, I, we grew up, we didn't have cable. You know, we grew up a couple hours from Chicago. I was a Cubs fan, but we didn't have cable and we were too far to get the broadcast of WGN over the air. And so my connection was through the sports page and through baseball cards, both learning and yeah. following about my favorite team, but also the league as a whole. And so it, it's amazing when, when you've got that interest and a passion for the sport, how collecting cards can bridge those two gaps and bring them together. That that's pretty cool. So you mentioned, you know, your interest in Ken started, you know, a while ago. Um, my understanding is so did the, the journey and the process for putting this book together. Talk a little bit about what that journey has been like in the time when you started doing the research and, and what it has taken to kind of finally have this book in your hands people can't see it at home, but, but I see the book over your shoulder. You've got copies in hand. Talk a little bit about that process of, of putting this book together. It was 2012. It was 10 years ago. And I was working overnights at the New York post. I just moved to New York city and my now wife, Susan, Susie, Suze, as the hobby knows her, um, you know, she was still working in New Jersey. We'd met when we were working together in New Jersey at the paper in uh, Atlantic City. And, you know, we both decided it was time to move. And I got this overnight homepage editor job and had all this free time during the day and really nothing to do and nowhere to go. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do in the city or, you know, I didn't really feel like going and being a tourist. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I just kept draw, kept getting drawn back to the story of Ken Caminiti and, and his life and times. And um, so I just started researching. You know, I started sending a couple emails here and there, people who were connected to him, people close to him, just kind of wondering, just seeing like maybe there's something here. 
Um, and I always was fearful, like, oh, maybe somebody has something in the works that a book's going to come out next year about him. You know, you're always this, this, uh, you know, stopwatch is always going off in your head, like, you know, oh, I need to do something now because what if somebody else does it first? You know, and over the course of the past decade, there were actually a couple people who did have projects or ideas of projects that I've connected with about Ken. Um, and some of them came forward, some of them didn't. But um, I started researching him in 2012. And then in late May or early June of 2012, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was the 10-year anniversary of his um, admission to Sports Illustrated. And they did a 10-year look back. And it was just another reminder to me that like, yes, this is a book. There needs to be a book done on this guy. There's so much here. And it was really just research for the first year. You know, every once again, I, you know, Google his teammates or, you know, find newspaper articles online about his life um, and just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper as far as I could with research. You can really only go so far, but um, I did a lot of digging with research. And then in 2013, I just felt like I need to start calling people and talking to people. So I started reaching, reaching out to kind of people on the fringes, like his motorcycle, the guy who designed his motorcycles. He was the first interview I did. Because I figured if this is a disaster and it doesn't work out, this is low stakes. If this doesn't work out, it's a bad interview. So be it. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of people who I didn't know if they would have a connection. I actually interviewed Sam McDowell, uh, Sudden Sam McDowell, which was awesome because he has dealt with his own struggles with addiction and and all those sorts of things and really came out the other side and has, you know, given so much back to players and to the world. And I just felt like, yeah, maybe there's something there. And it wasn't. It wasn't a great interview. And, um, you know, I think as you keep going forward, you know, when you start knocking off a couple of people closer to Ken or whose story really resonates with him, like an Art Howe or a Billy Doran, um, that's when I felt like, okay, you know, because then I could start, you know, talking to new people, reaching out to new people and saying, hey, I talked to Art Howe or I talked to Billy Doran. Like, there's name recognition there. You know, there's something there. And, um, you know, and just started you know, pecking away at it. Uh, I talked to his major league teammates. I talked to his minor league teammates, his college friends, you know, his little league teammates. You know, I'd go back all the way, go forward, kind of jump around because it's it's really fascinating looking at how much of an impact a life like Ken's can have on other people and all the people that, you know, I'd scour his obituary online and see if people left some messages um, little notes of, you know, you were an awesome friend, or uh, I really appreciated the person you were and the times we met, you know, little things that tell you that they're closer than they, you know, just some random person who said, oh, this person mattered to me. Um, so I just kept chipping and chipping and chipping, you know, over the course of years and, um, you know, eventually taught, interviewed 400 people, um, which is just a lot. You know, it's it's one of those things where like, I didn't set out for a number in mind, but I always knew that it needed to have a lot of people to be able to figure out this story because it's a complicated story. And, you know, it was really meaningful to fill out little pieces and, you know, go beyond, you know, obviously his teammates, um, it's easy to find who his teammates were, but then it's like, okay, there was a, there was a family, the Joneses who uh, were like kind of team parents when he played his first minor league season in Osceola and uh, 1985. And like people I had interviewed had mentioned them in passing, but didn't 
remember their names. So it was one of those things where like, I knew this family was out there. I just didn't know who they were. And then to be able to finally, over the course of, you know, talking to teammates for five, six, seven years, finally get a name and then finally leave a message and talk to them. And you find out that they were the parents of the bat boys on the team. And, you know, they had these great stories. It's all those little those little stories that haven't been told, we've all heard the stories about the Snickers game, you know, and it's great to relive those moments, but I was so appreciative of being able to tell the stories that haven't been told before, you know, and then, uh, you know, this book kind of carried throughout my uh, time in journalism in New York. So I bounced around from the post to ABC news, to the daily news eventually um, decided that I wanted to spend more time with my son uh, who was two or three at the time, and I wasn't seeing enough of him. Uh, so I decided to become a book ghostwriter. And I think that really helped me, A, figure out how to write a book, because I'm writing books for other people, and B, how to shop a book around, because a book proposal is a really big part of the process. And up for the first seven years I was working on this book, I didn't have an agent, I didn't have a publisher lined up. I was doing it completely for fun, completely on my own, just to see like, Hey, I wonder if there's a book here. And as I started writing books for other people and they're telling me, oh, I have this great story to tell. And I'm like, well, I have a great story to tell. I need to get my story told about Ken. And uh, and that's when I first started shopping it around and was really thankful to be able to find, you know, an agent and Joe Perry, who has been awesome and supportive and a publisher in Abrams Press has been nothing but uh, fantastic. And you know, and, and bring this story forward. But, you know, even up through, because uh, I, I got my book deal signed in 2020, you know, even up through that process, there were still little elements I needed to, to work out and figure out and talk to people. And then I got to writing and it was really neat to actually write it because a lot of times when you're writing, it's like, what am I missing? I'm missing so much. I have to fill in these gaps. And for me, it was the opposite. I had so much material to work with and it was really interesting to be able to whittle down and say, okay, this is redundant. I don't need this. Like what's the actual part and the core of the story and how can I tell it in the best way possible? So it was, it was, you know, it was a difficult grueling process and it was emotionally taxing, but I was really proud with the journey this story took, the journey that um, this book took. And um, I'm really proud with how it came out. 400 interviews. I can only imagine how much whittling down you had to do and how much of that was creating the background content to be able to tell the story versus how much of that you're going to be um, attributing directly to that conversation or a specific story, you know, as part of telling that story. Were there people who initially maybe turned you down for an interview, but as you went along through that 400, they they found out that you had talked to somebody else later on and came back around and agreed to, to chat with you? There were. There were definitely people who were reticent and who decided to come around. And I was really thankful they did. You know, and then there's other people who just said, this is too emotional. I'm not going to. Um, and I, I respect that, too. And I appreciate that, too. You know, I think one of the ones that I was really proud of getting that I felt like I needed to get to be able to make this count is Bruce Bochy. I tried from 2013 on forward through the Giants to line up an interview with him. And initially they had given me 10 minutes with him before a Mets game. And it, it lined up with a family conflict that I had that I couldn't break. And I was just like crushed. I'm like, I really want to talk to Bruce Bochy, but I have this family thing. And I ended up saying it's not going to work out for me. And every year I would send an email, one or two emails. 
hey, checking in, wanted to see if I could get some time to talk to him. And then he announces he's retiring and that's the end of his time with the Giants. And I'm like, you know, this is this is really rough. How am I going to make this work? And I, I just said after he retired, he was sitting at home and I said, I'm just going to cold call up Bruce Bochy. So I did. Uh, I had a number that I thought was connected to him, but I wasn't sure. I left a message. I saved it on my phone as Bruce Bochy question mark. And, you know, a week or two passed and I kind of forgot about it and moved on. And then I get a callback from this number. And I was like, well, it's either Bruce Bochy or it's somebody telling me I have a wrong number, but I'm interested. I answer it's that gravelly voice that we all know. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's Bruce Bochy. You know, and I ended up talking to him for like 45 minutes and he was great. And, um, you know, another one that I was really proud of uh, that I also cold called was uh, Bobby Cox. This was like five or six years ago. And you know, Ken played for the Braves in 2001, and that was the end of his career. And I felt like, you know, let me try to cold call Bobby Cox. And I think I actually called his wife's number. Like there was, I looked him up online. I have these different databases I'm a part of. And, um, you know, Bobby Cox uh, got him on the phone. He's like, oh, a tree fell on my house. Call me back tomorrow. So I called him back tomorrow. He was gracious with his time. Um, no, there were there were definitely people, uh, teammates of Ken's, close friends of his. A lot of them were, um, you know, reluctantly agreeing. And then I think there was a, a good number of them that over time, it took them some time to say yes. And I think it took them some time to emotionally get in the place that they were ready to talk about him and talk about his struggles and talk about his life. Um, you know, and I was really, I was really thankful to get to that point because um, yeah, I wanted to talk to as many people as I could. And I think it was the book's better for those uh, perspectives. But I think some of the people who were reluctant had some of the toughest things to say and talk about. And I think it, it took them some time to get used to being able to talk about some of those things out loud. This is a 10-year journey for you, both in digging in and learning more about Ken's life, but also probably learning a little bit more about your own as you went through it. What's something that you learned as you went through this 10-year journey that surprised you? It's a really good question. I think for me, it's the perspective that you don't really know. You know, it's easy to look at a life like Ken's and say, this guy has it made. You know, he has money. He's good looking. He's really good at what he does. He's famous. Everything's great. And you don't know what he's struggling with. You know, you don't know what everybody's struggling with. And I think that we all at times can rely on things that aren't healthy or good for us to get through the day. You know, I know with myself when I was in college, like, yeah, I drank too much. I got into trouble. Like I had some ups and downs and it was difficult. I think it was important for me to go through those own, my own struggles on that front to be able to better understand Ken's struggles. I think if I didn't have those experiences myself, it would have been tough to be able to authoritatively write about Ken. But, you know, I think we all have those difficulties. And, you know, for me, it's just being smarter about it. Like, okay, you know, if you have to be on, like, okay, you know, setting parameters for yourself, being being more um, uh, recog- recognizing your patterns and the fallbacks you have and the... Uh, the crutches you use, um, if it's, you know, if you have an emotional day and your, your impulse is to go home and drink, like recognizing those patterns, recognizing that maybe those patterns aren't healthy for you. Um, I also think that, you know, I think we all do this thing where we trick ourselves or talk to ourselves in saying, 
I'm doing this because of blank. You try to justify things. I think in Ken's case, it was justifying things by saying, I'm doing this to be the best player I can, or I'm doing this because this is what my teammates expect of me. And that could be staying out late at night drinking. It could be, you know, popping a greenie in the morning. It could be uh, taking painkillers. It could be steroids. It could be anything. You know, you can try to justify anything by saying, you know, I'm trying to be better or I'm helping my team or this or that. And I think that a lot of times in our own lives, we do those things. You know, I think it's just being smarter and more realistic about who we are, about the things that help us, things that hurt us, um, you know, staring clear of the things that hurt us and um, recognizing those habits and patterns and, and being more mindful of them. Was there something that you've been able to highlight in the book about Ken's life that you found especially rewarding? I think for me, the thing that I'm really proud of being able to highlight is the warmth and the heart he had for others. He went out of his way for a lot of people. And it's it's easy to gloss over that or look at it, uh, look over it. Um, but, you know, he would go out of his way for anybody who needed it. You know, the children's cancer charities, the fundraisers. Uh, he was really gracious with his time. He was even gracious with his time for fans with autographs after the game. If you went 0 for 4, you know, he had this habit of saying, if, if I had a bad game, I'm going to go sign autographs for an hour, like to give them something. You know, I, I think he always felt like he was very giving. He was very giving of himself and of his time, you know, and maybe that was at times to his detriment. But I, I really think that some of those aspects have been lost. And I think it was really it was I was proud to be able to bring some of those elements back and talk about that, how giving he was. I think the other flip side of it is just how competitive he was and how other players respected his competitive nature. Like when you played against Ken, you, you raised your game. Like you wanted to be as good as he was. You wanted to beat him. You wanted to do everything you can because this guy was giving it his all. And um, one story that really resonates with me was the 1999 National League Divisional Series, Braves-Astros. And the Astros had the bases loaded in extra innings, all they had to do was score a run, they would have won the game. And Tony Eusebio was up and he hit a ball up the middle and Walt Weiss, I don't know how he made this play. He was diving toward the outfield. Uh, he was in as a defensive replacement. He was diving toward the outfield. He somehow stopped this ball with this glove of his that was just like falling apart, uh, somehow snared it, somehow turned and threw home. Uh, got Ken at the plate actually and the, the Braves ended up winning. And after the game, you know, Walt's in the clubhouse and he gets a phone call and it's Ken. And Ken's like, I just watched the replay of that, that highlight. That was the best freaking play I've ever seen. Like the fact that he could go out of his way like that too, even when he's losing a playoff game to turn around and celebrate, celebrate um, competitiveness, celebrate uh, an achievement somebody made. Like he was just awesome like that. And I think there were perspectives and glimpses of that throughout his life of just him, you know, thinking about other people, even when, you know, maybe he should have been focused more on himself. What else do you want people to know about the book? Uh, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. It's, it's dark. Uh, it goes to some deep places. You know, I don't think it's for everybody. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think that, you know, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to peel back the layers on Ken's life and, the traumas he encountered and the struggles he faced. And we all know where the story's going. You pick up a book and you're like, okay, this guy died. This guy died in a sad, difficult way. 
it's heavy. It's it's difficult. And it was difficult to write. You know, it was difficult to write those chapters where he's, you know, his final years, like going down this, you know, this hill, this cliff. Um, you know, and and yet I felt like there were so many moments of light throughout the book that I'm really proud of. You know, even with Ken's um his his fellow players, this kind of goes back to the Walt Weiss story, but like he would take players under his wing and they were younger players, players like Phil Nevin, George Arias. Um, there were guys who were playing his position who were up to take his job and he was helping them. He was making them better. He was trying to teach them how to be better players. Uh, he would go out of his way to like uh, open up his home for people if they needed to come to Houston, for example, for, for a little while. Like he would open his home up to a lot of people. And I think the thing that's cool, too, is seeing the parallels between Ken's younger years and his major league days. I think a lot of times when somebody hits it big, you're like, oh, this person's coming into their own and like they're different. They're changed. This guy was the same like to his high school friends, like he was the same guy uh, and he was the same kind of player. He was always all out, you know, and putting himself on the line like he was making plays in college. He was making plays in the minors. He was making plays in winter ball that were kind of similar to the plays he would make in the major leagues. Um, He was always just, you know, full throttle on the field. And, um, you know, he was just, he was a, he was a good friend. He was a good guy. Um, Yeah. I think the thing I take away from it is this, like I spent 10 years researching this guy's life. I continue to be intrigued by him and I continue to respect him even amid the darkness and the struggles he faced, like I still respect him. I still appreciate him. I still adore him. I think he's awesome. And um, I didn't get tired of him. Even if I was frustrated by some of the decisions he made in life, I didn't get tired of him to the point where I was like, oh, you know, I can't stand working on this book anymore. Like it was never a chore to me. It was always just this kind of labor of love. And just his, especially his Padres years, his Padres years were so much fun. You know, he had the song, he had, a, he had a song that was made after him. Hey, Caminetti was uh, themed after the Macarena. And like the fan just adored him. They just adored him and embraced him in a special way and a unique way. And like, you know, obviously San Diego had Junior Seau and Tony Gwynn and a lot of other great athletes through the years. But there was that one little moment in 96 when, when Ken was just at the top and it was just really exciting to relive those years. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on, spending a few minutes, giving us a chance to learn a little bit more about you and a little bit more about the book. Before we go, tell people where they can find the book and where they can find you if they want to stay tuned with what you've got going on. Of course. Uh, Starting uh, May 31st, the book is out. It's going to be available anywhere books are sold. It's uh, go to your local bookstore. Uh, It's on Amazon. It's pretty much everywhere which is exciting. Um, I am, you know, posting consistent updates on Twitter, uh, dgood73. And I have a Substack page, uh, dangoodstuff.substack.com. Uh, and I'm posting a lot of little like updates, some excerpts, some little fun asides. Uh, there's so much that I wanted to put in the book that I couldn't fit in there. And there's so many stories that I wanted to go deeper on that uh, just didn't have the space. So it's been neat to really, you know, spread out some of these stories, post some of them, um, you know, build them out and little pieces. I mean, he had a, like a run-in with a security guard at a Braves game, they collided and it was a a highlight. You know, it was one of those things where it's not in the book, but it's, 
uh, I thought it was fun. So it's just fun little pieces. And uh, no, it's just exciting to be on this book journey, exciting to see this come out finally after so many years. And just excited to share the story of Ken and, and you know, share it with the world. Well, thanks again for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sports card shop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports and the hobby around the world. Well, I look forward to picking up this book and checking it out. I will have links to the book on Amazon in the show notes, and I will also have links to a special page that Dan has set up if you'd like to order an autographed copy directly from him. Both of those links, like I said, will be in the show notes. Well, that is all I have for you today. Come on back next week for another topic. I think I'm going to be covering a little bit about how I break down collections. I recently picked up a pretty big collection, three truckloads worth of cards, and I thought it might be good to spend a little time talking about how I break down a collection like that to recoup a bunch of my cost and hopefully make a little money along the way. So I'll catch you next time.